0: Here we go. With the first pick in the 2020 draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore. This is episode number 35, and I couldn't be happier to be here with you. Couldn't be more jacked up for a podcast episode as the entire direction of the Cincinnati Bengals franchise has changed. Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, he is now the franchise quarterback in Cincinnati. Not only has the direction of the franchise shifted, so too has the attitude and the energy in the city of Cincinnati, a city that has starred for something positive. The Reds are not playing because of coronavirus, UC and, and, and Xavier were robbed of tournament runs as well. The Bengals are coming off of a 2-14 and 14 season. This city needed something. And as we saw with the numbers, the country needed something with the NFL draft this weekend. But in Cincinnati, this is the most influential day in franchise history. They have capped off the most unbelievable offseason and the most unprecedented out-of-character offseason in team history. They spent over $130 million on free agents. They just picked the far and away best quarterback in the draft. They have done, for the most part, everything right up until this point. Bengals fans are ecstatic. It's hard to find a grade on this draft class, and I know grades on draft classes are stupid, especially 24 hours after they've happened, but there is very few there are very few bad words coming out of the mouths of the national media about the Cincinnati Bengals. I think overall people are very impressed with what they have seen from this organization: a shift from one thing, a 2- and14 god-awful season, to a more aggressive approach in a franchise that expects to win from this point forward. There is one man, though who says the Bengals are about to waste $36 million on Joe Burrow. His name's David Wysong. He'll join the podcast from Sport, sportscasting.com. He writes about the Bengals and their lack of offensive line and why it's a death sentence, a death wish, really, for Joe Burrow if they don't protect him. So we'll talk to David Wysong coming up. In the meantime, though, the NFL draft was spectacular. The The virtual draft, the, the numbers were through the roof, breaking viewership records of, of years past, breaking – viewership records for games that have been played in the past the ESPN did almost everything right with this NFL draft the problem was that you know I'll, I'll get to the good stuff but the the one thing they kept doing that I did not like and that seemingly no one liked was the fact that every time a player was drafted they would tell you about the worst thing that's ever happened to that player in the middle of him getting experiencing the best moment of his life we're telling you about how his mom was addicted to drugs or his dad died in a fire or this terrible thing happened to him or his brother lost an arm or this happened. And it was just I thought it was in poor taste of ESPN. I understand what they're trying to do, create uh, emotion and and create a story and, and give you a connection to these players and understand the magnitude of the moment. But you don't always have to have that. You simply don't. And in some in some cases, it just came off as really, really bad. There were some interesting moves, like the Green Bay Packers drafting Jordan Love, not only drafting him, but trading up to get him, with Aaron Rodgers still having four years left on his deal, and Aaron Rodgers wanting to play well into his 40s. It's very reminiscent of what they did when they drafted Aaron Rodgers to replace Brett Favre. You had the Philadelphia Eagles, who picked Jalen Hurts in the second round. And now Carson Wentz has been banged up in the past and has had several injury issues, but... They needed other things. They took Jalen Hurts in the second round. That was an interesting move. The Bengals, if they're getting any criticism, it's because they didn't take an offensive lineman until the sixth round. But other than that, people are very excited about their strategy in rebuilding the defense, specifically the linebacker room. This The, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, I think, had an excellent draft. The, the jury, obviously, is still going to be out on Justin Herbert, as it is for every rookie quarterback. But... They also came up and got Kenneth Murray, who is expected to be the best, you know, pass coverage linebacker in this draft by a lot of people out of Oklahoma. I thought the Chargers had a good draft. Listen, none of us knows anything about this draft, and I'm not going to sit here and contradict myself what I said a couple weeks ago. But overall, you get to see a team's philosophy, you get to see how they grade people, and you get to see how aggressive they are at filling specific needs. To circle back to the Bengals, like I said, it's hard to find a bad grade for them. Let's take a look at their draft pack, draft class. Round one, pick one, obviously, LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. Round two, pick 33. The Bengals, I can tell you, are ecstatic about this pick. A lot of people wondered, would they go offensive line? Would they go linebacker here? They didn't. They went weapon for Joe Burrow. Clemson wide receiver T. Higgins goes to him in round two. Rounds three and four, that's when they address the linebacker room, taking Wyoming linebacker Logan Wilson, who came into college as a defensive back and is coming out as a 250-pound linebacker and a tackling machine. And then in round four, Appalachian State linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither, who had some injury concerns but is a sideline-to-sideline backer who plays fast and can help in coverage. In round five, they picked Notre Dame defensive end Khalid Kareem. Are you seeing a theme here? They're building up the worst defense in the NFL. Round six, they finally addressed the offensive line position with a Kansas offensive lineman who plays right guard and right tackle. I guess he could play all the positions, uh, Hakeem Adeniji, And then in round seven, pick 215, another linebacker, Purdue linebacker Marcus Bailey, who, by the way, he uh, he had a second ground grade for a lot of people, but Several knee injuries and shoulder injuries in the past led to him falling all the way to the seventh round. The Bengals are ecstatic about that pick as well. Other than a linebacker and other than building the defense, there was another theme to this draft for the Cincinnati Bengals. It was leadership, leadership, leadership. From Paul Daner Jr. in The Athletic, he said, the clear objective in this draft was to add more to that mix. Six of the seven players selected were elected captains by their teammates and multiple of those players have degrees in leadership. Really, really interesting philosophy. Listen, there is a difference, and I thought about this today. The difference between Marvin Lewis and Zach Taylor, and there's there's a podcast I listen to. It's called the Focus Three Podcast with Tim Kite and Urban Meyer, and they talk a lot about building culture and building. A, a, an organization to be the best it can be, to maximize its potential, and you obviously get to hear a lot of this through the football side of things of Urban Meyer. And listen, I I'm completely biased. I love Urban Meyer like he's my own father. He could he there's a place for Urban Meyer in my life anytime. I love the man, but he's also one of the smartest people I've ever I've ever seen. He knows about culture. He knows about establishing these things. And I'm starting to I listen to that podcast, I I just consume it all the time. And a lot of the same characteristics that they talk about building a culture, you have seen from Zach Taylor in his first two years as the Bengals head coach. You're seeing it as they come through with this 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 theme with these players that they draft. Leadership, high character guys, guys that are older, a lot of guys that they coached in the senior bowl in Mobile, Alabama you're starting to see this complete culture shift. Listen, there's the difference between Zach Taylor and Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis never established a culture. He did at the beginning. He said, okay, we're not going to lose anymore. But that's shifted to okay, we're going to just we're going to just not lose. Right. He didn't say, we're going to win, we're just going to not lose, we're going to stay afloat. And Marvin Lewis lost the respect of the players in the locker room, he lost control of the locker room, and he lost control of the culture he was trying to build, because he wasn't trying to like really build a winning culture, he was just trying to build a not-losing culture. And he did that, for the most part, until the very end. Zach Taylor, he doesn't give a damn about that. Zach Taylor wants to win. You can see it in the way the guy talks. He was furious Game in, game out last year, they kept losing. He was furious in the local interviews he did with radio stations. He was furious in just about everything that he did, just about everything last year. And he's still mad about it. You you talk, you bring up the last year to him right now, he gets angry. And this dude has come in. The first thing he did is completely renovate the, the player's locker room and, and the, the cafeteria, all the facilities, all new he has made it very clear that they're not going to have guys like Vontez Perfect on the roster. He got rid of them immediately. Guys like that are not welcome here anymore. You want high character, high motor guys experienced in the playoffs and in the NFL. And that's what they've done through free agency. That's what they've done through the draft. And you say what you want about Zach Taylor and it was a poor roster and they went two and 14 and the Bengals front office didn't do him any favors last year. But the fact of the matter is those players never quit on Zach Taylor not once they were fighting their ass off week in and week out for coach Taylor. And I think that's something to be excited. I noticed that I know other players have noticed it. It, It's I I say other players as if I'm a player, that's not what I meant, but I know players have noticed it. I know other people have noticed it, that there's no give up on Zach Taylor. Like there was on Marvin Lewis in the past. So I think more than anything, that's something to be excited about. If you're a Bengals fan, listen, they're not going to go to the, go to the Super Bowl and win it this year. The offensive line is just not good enough to do that. But the fact of the matter is they have taken pretty much all the necessary steps to make their team significantly better and be a competitive football team next year. I talk about the offensive line next year. Think about this. They are going to be better. You're getting Jonah Williams back. Jonah Williams was their first round pick last year. Number 11 overall, he didn't play a snap because he tore his, shoulder up in uh, off-season workouts. So you're going to have your number one overall pick in Joe Burrow starting at quarterback, your number 11 overall pick last year in Jonah Williams starting at left tackle, and oh by the way you're getting an all-pro wide receiver A.J. Green back in the mix, along with Tyler Boyd and a great running back in Joe Mixon. I saw some crazy stat that the amount of output that Bengals uh, that, that uh, Joe Burrow is walking into. I don't know if any number one overall pick has ever come into a team that had a 1,000-yard receiver and a 1,000-yard rusher the year before. There has been this, this narrative about the Bengals in the offseason that there's no talent on the roster. That's just not true. Uh, defensively, there's very little. I'll give you that. But offensively, there is plenty of talent. It's getting the most of it. It's protecting the quarterback, and it's coming up with a game plan that is suitable to those players. Zach Taylor did a better job of that at the end of the year. He was learning as well as a rookie head coach. Long story short, despite the fact that your offensive line is not that great, and we'll talk about that with David Wysong coming up, Bengals fans do still have a lot to be excited about. So be excited and be happy. There are billboards of Joe Burrow across this city already. He's a hometown kid, not really a hometown kid, but he's from, the, from, from Ohio went to the Ohio State University, I cannot imagine, I cannot fathom the pressure on this dude's shoulders already. It's got to be insane. It's got to be insane. So let's continue that conversation uh, now with David Weissong who uh, is nice enough to join the podcast. We welcome in now a sports writer for SportsCasting.com, formerly of the Chillicothe Gazette and the former editor-in-chief of the News Record, the independent student-run news organization of the University of Cincinnati, A sharp guy, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, recently verified. David Weissong, welcome to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Glad to have you. Now, listen, this is a time in Cincinnati where spirits are high. People are excited. There are very few bad things coming out about the Cincinnati Bengals And then I saw an article that you wrote this weekend that said the Cincinnati Bengals are about to waste $36 million. I was taken back by that. Explain to people your stance on them drafting Joe Burrow and why they could be wasting $36 million.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of people are pretty uh, PO'd at me. Uh, The (laughs) Facebook comments on that post are not too great. But, I mean, I don't think drafting Burrow was a mistake at all. I think he's a great quarterback. I've been a big fan of him. I'm a big Ohio State fan, even though I went to UC. So sure. I think he's a great quarterback. He has potential to be really, really, really good. But you, I put this in my piece. He can't throw good passes. He can't be a good quarterback if he's on the ground constantly. Right. And this Bengals offensive line was horrendous last year. I've been getting these comments that they played better towards the end of the season that's a small sample size. They were ranked one of the lowest, probably I think the last uh, offensive line in football most of the season season, then jumped up to maybe the third last. So really, them progressing towards the end of the year is kind of relative to them being the last offensive line in football, the worst offensive line in football. So I really don't want to hear that at all. And none of the the guys at PFF or Football Focus, they rate their guy. They know offensive line play a lot better than I do. They don't have any of the guys who played last year, ranked in the top 50. Yeah, the Bengals have Jonah Williams. They got a guy from the Cowboys, but the guy from the Cowboys isn't really, like, amazing. He's not going to be just like a Quentin Nelson or anything, and Jonah Williams, he can't play every position on the offensive line. So, I mean, I think that they should have at least drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. I mean, they passed on uh, Jones from Houston twice. Jones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They passed on him twice, so uh just why didn't they try to protect their biggest asset, which is Joe Burrow? I mean, T. Higgins' draft was good, but, I mean, they should have gotten offensive
0: linemen. Right, and and I think that most Bengals fans would agree with you in that sense and saying, okay, well, the draft was pretty good, but it wasn't great because we didn't come away with a guy to replace Bobby Hart. And you mentioned the, the pro football focus grades, and let me just run through them here for you real quick. Trey Hopkins was the highest graded of the offensive line at 62.8. That says a lot. Then you go to Bobby Hart at fifty. 7.7 7. John Miller who's not there anymore at 58.6 Michael Jordan was a rookie that came in and played a lot of snaps at 43.1 and then you have a second or third year guy in Billy Price who has had a horrible start to his NFL career at a 41.8 ranking and that was the problem that a lot of Bengals fans had they passed on Josh Jones twice they went to really rebuild the linebackers and that is obviously a, a, a a place of need. And there's a lot of holes for a team that went two and 14 last season. Um, and, and they didn't really address the, the position group in, in free agency either. And it's interesting. You mentioned Quentin Nelson, because you also brought up a, a potential future for Joe Burrow. That is similar to one of Quentin Nelson's former teammates.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Andrew, I'm actually, so the Bengals are my second favorite team. I live in Cincinnati. Of course I follow them. I went to the Bengals game last year. I go to one every year. Smart but the Colts man. are my favorite team, and I watched uh, Andrew Luck get blasted every single season because our general manager Ryan Grigson could not would not draft an offensive lineman, and then mm-hmm. that's what I'm worried is going to happen with Joe Burrow. He's just—I mean, same thing happened with Cam Newton; they just get banged up because right. you can't—you can only take so many hits.
0: Yeah, and I mean, God love Andy Dalton. We did see over the course of his Bengals career, there were flashes where he was a really good quarterback. And in those seasons, he had a pretty good offensive line, and obviously last exactly. year he was just destroyed. You mentioned it in your piece, sacked 37 times in just 13 games, which is kind of unfathomable. And the crazy part is a lot of Bengals fans have a problem with Bobby Hart, and Bobby Hart actually wasn't the worst problem on the offensive line, which is hard to believe, but that says a lot about it going forward. So I do think that your, your argument is justified, and uh I think it's unfortunate that people are, are are barking up your tree about it because you know as we know people don't really like to hear the truth. Other than that though, the NFL draft is is truly a fascinating um a fascinating event and you you cover the NFL, you you write about things that interest you. What did you take away other than just the Bengals from the NFL draft this
1: year? Uh well, if you mean virtual, do you mean virtual wise or the picks wise? Like I, how I'm, teams. Fit?
0: I'm talking picks first, and we'll get the virtual in a minute.
1: Okay. Uh, well, obviously, like I said, I'm a Colts fan, so I followed mm-hmm. their picks uh, really well, and I honestly think they had one of the drafts and one of the best drafts in the entire NFL. They, uh, I, I really trust their general manager Chris Ballard, Unlike mm-hmm. I trust uh, Bing- I do not trust the Bengals front office. But I mean, uh, he got Jonathan Taylor, probably maybe the best running back in football last year. Got a really good wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. Um, and then he got Jacob Eason in the fourth round. I wanted him to get, I wanted to get Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts with two teams that didn't really need quarterbacks, ended up getting quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he addressed some needs that they need. And I mean, to have Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack in the backfield with the best offensive line in football, and then to get Philip Rivers another piece, I mean, Cooper isn't even going to have to really throw the ball next year because they have such a good running game. But now he has a really good rookie receiver, T.Y. Hilton, and then Terrace Campbell, who didn't play a lot last year. But, I mean, he was really good at a hot state. So I was really excited with their draft. And, of course, uh, the Cowboys getting CeeDee Lamb, I think that offense is going to be poet now.
0: I think they are, too. I wonder if they'll be able to get out of their own way at times, but I do think Mike McCarthy is really interesting in his offensive philosophy. I do want to circle back to the Colts, though, because you know, being in this area, I know a lot of Colts fans, and the the opinion seems to be pretty split on Phillip Rivers. Where do you stand on, on the current quarterback situation? Obviously paying him that much money, he's going to be the starting quarterback. Is that a decision that you – agree with or do you find a lot of Colts fans agreeing with you what's the status from from Colts fans
1: Uh, I think they definitely think he should be the starter I mean we're going in this a little cautious a little scared because he did have a down year last year but Mm -hmm. just two seasons ago the Chargers are one of the best teams the football Super Bowl contender and he played really well so I mean if he can get protection from that offensive line he has some nice weapons and then he doesn't really have to throw the ball 30 40 times a game because they have a good offensive line, some good running backs. He can just throw it twenty times, get some passes downfield, which Jacoby Brissett could not do last year. He right. he was awful at getting it downfield. Uh, I mean, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. I mean, he scares me a little bit with the picks. He's had some inconsistency there over the years, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know that he can put up a lot of touchdowns, a lot of yards. So I mean, that's just I think I think this coaching staff knows what to do uh with him to kind of bring him in
0: um that's what i was about uh, to say I, I trust frank reich honestly with my life i think he's one of the brightest dudes in football i think he's really sharp and uh i believe in him and and i think a lot of people around the organization believe in what he's trying to do i mean he won a
1: super bowl with nick
0: Foles. that's so. right that's, that's, all that's you right say. he won a super bowl <laughs> with nick Foles. so i'll be damned if he can't do it with phil rivers too now moving on to that virtual side there was a lot of a lot of question marks going into this draft. Was it going to go off without a hitch? Was somebody going to screw up? Was a pick going to get messed up? Overall, it went really well. What was your takeaways from the telecast that you watched, and overall the access that we got to uh, to NFL teams over the course of the weekend?
1: Uh, I did really like uh, seeing the personal side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Bill Belichick, but to see him <laughs> with his dog was really cool. Um, to see just the guys with their families in their house uh cardinals coach his name just slipped my mind but his house cliff kingsbury yeah cliff kingsbury just huge bachelor pad of course you know that he was supposed to he got offered (laughs) to be on the bachelor so it kind of fits that the interesting
0: thing about that is it's a 4.6 million dollar house and he has a 10 million million dollar contract he's put a lot of money into that house
1: I mean, I mean, I guess if you don't have kids to spend it on, do yeah. have to pay for a wedding or something. I don't know, but uh, it, the setup was pretty sweet for sure. It, I saw a side by side of his and then Zach Taylor's, which I mean, oh, Zach God. Taylor, he, it wasn't it wasn't horrible, but I mean, it wasn't anything compared to Cliff Kingsbury.
0: Zach caught a lot of heat for his, and I guess understandably so, but you know. He's also got a lot of kids, and there's a lot there. But I did, you know, one thing I didn't expect was the family element. I didn't think, you know, I we picture football coaches all the time as these guys that are so locked in and so focused and and do all this. I I, I feel like if it was me, I would have locked myself in the attic or in the basement or wherever I was at, and I didn't want any interruptions for three hours. But these guys were really open about it, their families and their kids, and they got to the experience. I thought that was really really cool, and I hope that it's something that it can be incorporated to future drafts as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly almost enjoyed this draft more than any mm-hmm. other draft. I did kind of miss the fan aspect and, uh, you know, seeing Pat McAfee last year just talk a bunch <laughs> of crap to the Tennessee Titans fans being in Nashville. That was always yeah. fun. But I, I did really enjoy this draft and just a, it was it was just different and it was just kind of it was just cool to really see the family aspect, like you said, um, or you could have been Jerry Jones and just lock yourself. <laughs> Do on it your on the yacht. yacht.
0: Which, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that ain't a bad gig either. All right, David Weisong joining us from SportsCasting.com. As we as we know the uh, the season is still kind of up in the air when it's going to start. There's multiple conflicting reports, but overall, for I guess to look at the two teams that we focused on, the Bengals and the Colts. What is your prediction for those two teams moving forward into this uh, 2020
1: season? Uh, I would say a couple months ago. But even if the Colts would have had this draft, uh, I would have predicted the Colts to maybe go nine and seven ish, maybe mm-hmm. slide in the playoffs somewhere. But with the Houston Texans in their, in their division tra- trading DeAndre Hopkins, I don't really think the Texans are going to be that tough next year. Wow. So yeah. I can I can say the Colts maybe going ten and six and fighting with the Titans for the AFC Southland, maybe getting a wild card. It's going to be really tough between those two teams. Um, Bengals, oof, I mean, they're not going <laughs> to be as bad as, they're not going to be as bad as last year. I don't think, uh, but I, I would say six ones at best.
0: Okay. All right. And you know, I think that, I think that's enough to excite a lot of people, uh, depending on how Joe Burrow plays and, and God willing, he's still alive at the end of the year, according to your article. So if that's <laughs> the case, I, if that's the case, I think a lot of people will be happy with a team that is trending in the right direction, um, but other than that, David, that's all I got. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by. Thank you for for the uh, the contrasting opinion that uh, wasn't just blowing smoke up the butt of, of Bengals fans everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, they
1: need uh, to, they just need they need to stop trusting that front office. I don't know. <laughs> the front office has never given them reason to trust them before. That's so true, but that being s-
0: that's true, but that being said, they have done almost everything right this off season. So maybe. Maybe things are entirely changing, David. Where can where can people find you on social media? Where can they find your work?
1: Uh, They can find me on social media at Twitter and Instagram at David Weisong underscore. Facebook, I think it's just David Weisong 22 uh, And then, of course, my work is sportscasting.com. Our Twitter is sportscasting19. We're trying to grow that uh, Twitter following uh, uh, sportscasting, so I'd really appreciate it if they followed that.
0: All right, you heard the man. Go follow sportscasting19, David Weisong underscore, on Twitter. David, thanks so much for stopping by, man.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on.
0: That is David Weissong. First time I've ever spoken to that young man, despite the fact that we went to rival high schools and went to colleges very close to one another, worked for the newspapers of both of those colleges and have uh, played in the the same fantasy football leagues together. But uh, we have never spoken or met in person, but due to uh, mutual friends, we've always stayed connected and uh, I thought that went really well. So David, thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, moving in, moving on to the NFL draft, or moving on from the NFL draft, uh, to to work in a couple of segments here, um, because I know some of you are are so over the NFL draft talk already, and I apologize for that. But it is time for Numbers Game, and uh, this episode of the podcast is number thirty five, and uh, this week on Numbers Game, we're talking about Houston Astros starting pitcher Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, of course. Uh, Came into the league in 2005 with the Detroit Tigers. He's an eight-time All-Star in 07, 09 through 13, 2018 and 2019. He won the World Series in 2017 with the Astros. There is an asterisk next to that World Series championship, though. He was the American League MVP Award winner and Cy Young Award winner in 2011 and uh, he won the AL Rookie of the Year in 2006 and the American League Championship Series MVP in 2017. The Virginia native now has over 220 career wins, a 3.33 ERA, and 2,900 strikeouts in his big league career. Oh, by the way, he's also married to supermodel Kate Upton. That ain't bad for Justin Verlander, number 35, The uh, the the player we're highlighting in this week's edition of Numbers Game. So I talked about a little bit last week, and I don't have much time for this, and I debated if I even wanted to get into it. I talked about how I have, I have started to change the way I think when it comes to college football and professional football. I used to be very much against college football. I didn't like it. Um, I've always been an NFL guy, and for the most part, I still am. But in recent years, my love for the college game has grown exponentially. And I think the reason for that is because I almost see the NFL as work and college football as play. Now, the fact that I do actually work for an NFL team could have something to do with that. But it also has to do with the fact that the Bengals, it always seems to be a struggle every week to get a win. A struggle to have success. A struggle to be relevant. And on the college side of things, as an Ohio State football fan, that isn't an issue, and it hasn't been for for quite some time. Um, you know, it, it's just like, yeah, it's like I see the NFL as work, as col in college football as play. And I think another thing that comes into this is, you know, I have I have a pretty tight knit friend group. We like sports, we like football. And, and my closest friends, though, almost none of them would go out of their way to watch a Bengals game. Sure, if it's on, they might watch it. But their day isn't really planned around a Bengals game on Sundays. But in that same friend group, every Saturday in the fall, they are locked into the Ohio State Buckeyes. The day is planned around it. Plans are made, kickoff rolls around, all eyes are on the Ohio State Buckeyes. So when I think about my memories while watching Ohio State, I think, first of all, of a team that usually wins most of the games – a team that has won multiple championships since I've been alive. And I think of my friends and being surrounded by them and the joy that that brings me. My Bengals memories simply put are not as fond. There are not too many great memories to hold on to from a success standpoint. I've had great memories with my father going to games, but there is not as much of a communal connection to the Bengals for me as I get with Ohio state football. And when you look at it, going deep going deeper with the state of Ohio first of all the Buckeyes are all of Ohio's team when it comes to the NFL there's four or five teams in and around the state when you consider the Bengals the Browns the Colts the Lions and the Steelers I'm constantly amazed by the hodgepodge of professional football fans in this state and the Buckeyes for the most part unify all of those people So you get the feeling when you're watching Ohio State football or when you're on campus at The Ohio State University that this means more to more people. And to go further with that, like I said before, neither one of Ohio's NFL teams really have a rich history of winning. The argument could be made that the Cleveland Browns of the early days do, but most of their fans are dead now, and that team is technically the Baltimore Ravens. So when there's no championship culture for either of the state's NFL franchises – That doesn't help anything. One thing, though, with the NFL I will give credit to, and I will probably never budge on this, and actually I know I will never budge on this, is the quality of play. The level of play in the NFL so far supersedes the level of play in college football that sometimes it's laughable. The same with the NBA and college basketball. Sure, there's a great atmosphere, and sure sure you kind of get that it means more, But when you look at the X's and O's and the actual quality of the football, it is so much higher in the NFL. And that's something that I really get some enjoyment at. And then when you look at the rules of the game, the NFL rules are so much better than the college rules. College games last 18 hours now because the clock stops after every freaking first down there's a million media timeouts it's nonsense now the NFL they've gotten it down to a pretty good science of about three hours to three hours and 15 minutes college games are not that way anymore um you know the one foot in in for a, a catch I think is nonsense you should get two feet in the hash marks are so wide in college football they need to be smaller um the overtime rules, I've said before, I don't like the overtime rules in college football. I think the NFL overtime rules are a lot better. So I guess, long story short, what I'm trying to say here is that I find it interesting how my love for the college game has grown because of the experiences I've had with my friends and because of the amount of winning that Ohio State has done. Listen, you know, I've had, my my, my best friend goes to Ohio State, and seeing it through seeing ohio state through her eyes through her experiences and and having the chances to to go there and experience the campus yourself or if you've never been to a game at the shoe it's entirely different there are very few places in the nfl that can rival that and when you look at this you think about like i said you we have four or five teams around the state of ohio right and those the allegiances of the fans are all pulled in those in those directions but if you go to to Denver, Colorado, the madness for the Broncos is similar to what you get for Ohio State here. When you go to Seattle, I mean no Oregon football is not nearly as important or Washington football you dub up there is not nearly as important as Seattle Seahawks football. I mean the 12th man up there is insane. And Kansas City, for example, the atmosphere at, at At Arrowhead Stadium is ridiculous and you get a few of those places across the NFL and the places you get it in the NFL are places that don't have significant success in college football and I think those two things play hand in hand Um, so the atmosphere and obviously just being where I'm from uh, obviously has an impact on that but I think that it's really I think it's really interesting for me personally how my love for the the college game has continued to shift uh, in recent years because of the fact that it's been more successful and because of the fact that I have those experiences in a more communal feeling with my friends than I do with the Bengals. And, you know, I, I the Bengals fan base is, is an interesting one, and it's uh, – it, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to put my foot in my mouth with the with the Bengals fan base. But, you know, long story short, I love the NFL with everything in me. And and you think about it, I'll probably still pick a random NFL game over a random college game. But I do feel comfortable saying that uh a lot of the time I get more enjoyment and have more fond memories of the college game. So there's that. And that's something that I've been sitting on for two weeks now. And I've just been kind of, I don't, I wouldn't say struggling with it, but it's just been something that's been on my mind because I get, I have, I've found myself following uh, college football more now than I ever have before and really paying attention to, uh, to what's to come. And obviously with the NFL draft happening this past weekend, um, you know, obviously the, the college football memories are fresh. So, that basically is, is just about everything for this episode of the podcast. One thing I'm going to ask you to do that I haven't asked you to do in a long time, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts for the first time or if you're new here, if you haven't done it before, search Ball Don't Lie in the search box. Scroll all the way down after you tap on the, uh, on the album cover there, and then give me a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. You can also follow me on social media, which is basically just Twitter and Instagram, at Audi Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. By the way, my, my my tweets have been kind of fire lately, all right? I'm getting into to football season again. I'm getting bored with quarantine, so on and so forth. My my tweets have been fire lately. A lot of likes, a lot of engagement, talking ball. So if you want to talk some ball, uh, go head over to Twitter with me right there. Also on YouTube, youtube.com slash audio more, continuing a series, um, which will be uploaded here soon where I chronicle each month of my life. You should go and check that out. Uh, In the meantime, we've seen it. We saw it time and time again over the course of the NFL draft this weekend and uh, college football season, Ball Don't Lie. In the meantime, though, I will see you here next week for episode number 36 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks.